I'm JG Michael, and this is Parallax Views. Hello, this is Mike Swanson, and in a few moments, you're going to listen to another segment of Parallax Views. But before you do that, let me tell you about my new book, Why the Vietnam War. It's a sequel to my previous book called The War State, which has lots of positive reviews and Amazon's been out for years. But this one is a more detailed case study of how American Empire National Security State operate using Vietnam. And I believe it shows also how things work today, how policy is actually made and why. So grab the book on Amazon.com, Why the Vietnam War. This edition of Parallax Views is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors at the $10 tier and above of my Patreon page at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. Once again, that's patreon.com slash parallaxviews. Producers, credit shoutouts to Mark Arlen, Spartacus, Gunner, Ed, Gratz, James, Mickey, Dan, Brian, The Warnerd, The 42 Group, Nick, Emilia, Chase, Chris, Orc, Black Tuna, Nobody, David, Holland, Martin, Stu, Transnatural Pod, Jeffrey, Thomas, Elliot, Colin, Michael, Matthew Ho, Brace Belden, Galen, Justin, Nick W, Chance, and the Mere M-E-E-R Project. If you'd like to join those listeners in getting your very own producer's credit, on each and every edition of Parallax Views, consider joining them in supporting me at the $10 tier or above on my Patreon page at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. One more time, patreon.com slash parallaxviews. And now, on to the show. Hey there, Parallax News listeners. On this edition of the program, we're going to be talking about Israel-Palestine in light of the death of Al Jazeera journalist Shireen Abu Akla and rising tensions as we approach the Israeli right-wing nationalist flag march that is set to occur on Jerusalem Day, May 28th to the 29th. Hamas has, as you'll find out in this conversation, already stated that it will retaliate if the flag march takes place. It is seen as a provocation against Palestinians. Joining us to unravel all of this is returning guest and friend of the show, Yossi Gurevitz who, in case you're unfamiliar, is joining us directly from Israel. He is a tireless activist and dissident within the Israeli political scene. So without any further ado, let's welcome back to the show, 
Yossi Gurevitz to discuss the latest on Israel-Palestine. Welcome back to Parallax Views, a guest that I'm very happy uh, to have back on uh, from Israel, uh, Yossi Gurevitz, who last time joined us to speak about the sort of uh, specter of uh, Kahane in Israel. Uh, but we're here today to talk about the, the latest goings on in Israel and uh, Palestine. So Yossi, uh, if we could, I, I wanted to begin by uh, talking a little bit about the um, death of Shireen Abu Akla and the latest developments with that. I know the IDF uh, is not doing an investigation of it. So what is happening with that? Okay. Shirin Abu Akleh was shot on May 13th, early morning, May, May 11th, my mistake, May 11th, early morning, uh, very near the, uh, the Janine refugee camp, which is possibly the toughest place in the West Bank right now. She, while we don't actually know who shot her, an investigation by Bellingcat uh, has shown, okay, let's, let's phrase the IDF immediately, as soon as the, as the incident happened, the IDF came out with a claim that uh, Abu Akleh was shot by Palestinian gunmen. Now, the IDF and the gunmen were uh, exchanging fire about several hundred meters from where uh, Abu Akleh stood. About an hour later, the IDF spokesman did two things. One, he said, and I quote, uh, reporters are, who are film, uh, the, the reporters were filming and working for a media outlet amidst armed Palestinians. They're armed with cameras, if, you, if you'll permit me to say so. That was a lie. Uh, Bellingcat's uh, investigation showed that Abu Akle was about 300 meters from the gunman and that it was nigh impossible, ballistically speaking, for a bullet from their position to hit her. Both sides, apparently, were using um, M16 or M4s, all of them using 5, uh, 5.56 millimeter uh, ammunition. So it's tricky. However, uh, Bellingcat first showed that there is no plausible ballistic uh, path for the bullet to come from the Palestinian side, and that it certainly could have come from an Israeli position uh, about 170 or 190 meters from, the, from, from her position. They listened to the gun reports, uh, the sounds of the gunfire, and they calculated the time based on the assumption that it's an M16 or an M4 rifle. Based on the velocity uh, of, the, of, of the rifles, of the, uh, of the bullets from the such rifles, they estimated uh, the gunfire came from 170 to nine to 190 meters. No way 300 meters. Now, 
freak things can happen, okay? But it's very unlikely. Next, the IDF said that, well, the Palestinians hold the bullet. So if they, if they give us the bullet, we will hold an investigation. The Palestinians didn't buy that. Uh, and I can understand that. Uh, I'll, be, I'll, I'll, I'll be offering a few short comments about the latest report by Yashdin. Uh, but I used to work for Yashdin for four years, let's say that from the start. And I know IDF investigations and they notoriously lose uh, evidence. In one case, the MP MPCAD, Military Police uh, Criminal Investigation Division, um, was investigating the killing of a Palestinian and it ended the case by knowing less about the incident than they did when it started, since they managed to lose the pathologist report. The, then the IDF changed its position last week and said there will be no criminal investigation. They what do you so think, because... Lee, what, not to interrupt you, but what sort of led to, can we speculate as to why the IDF uh, sort of changed uh, their, their stance there? Regarding this, the investigation? Yes. I think, the, uh, well, they hinted, they have a way of, you know, leaking things, but not saying them directly. And what they were leaking is they were, they were under the impression that if they were to investig investigate under oath uh, soldiers, they would be under immense pressure from the Israeli public. And therefore they were not willing to risk this. There have been several incidents in the past the most notorious of them was Elor Azaria, who killed a wounded Palestinian um, gunman back in 2016, killed in, in front of the cameras. And the, the army was under immense pressure, both from the streets, so, so to say, the Israeli street, and from ministers in the cabinet, including the prime minister, then Benjamin Netanyahu, to drop the investigation. Um, the high command decided that this was a line they will not cross because basically uh, it's a gang now. If you, if you allow them to, to, if you allow soldiers to shoot unarmed people, even if they were involved in, a, in an attack. Uh, and as there was clear uh, evidence of his guilt. He was tried, but he was not indicted for murder, but for, for a lesser form of homicide. And he was convicted of that, and he served nine, nine months in prison for killing an unarmed and uh, basically helpless person. Uh, but the backlash the army received from this was immense. Uh, um, there were calls to, for, for the murder of the uh, army chief of staff. It's basically the IDF's commander. And he's considered um, one of the leaders of the nation, even though he's officially, officially uh, an appointee. He's not, he's not a political figure yet. Most of them go into politics later. 
but uh, after that, and after several issues examining that, like an instance where a soldier, David uh, from the Nachal Brigade, uh, was filmed kicking uh, Palestinians, and thousands of soldiers uh, went to the social media accounts and published their picture with uh, some sort of, some version of the slogan, I too stand with David and Akhlawi, um, that the army understood they were losing control. And so since I think they made the calculation that they will not pay any price in the world, their image being in the pits as it is, and they were not willing, they are not longer willing to take flag from the Israeli public for investigating the killings of Palestinians. Now, uh, Yeshdin, which is a, a human rights organization specializing in, uh, how do I put it, um, demanding investigations from the IDF, the police and also using the courts in order to demand uh, such investigations. Uh, just released two days ago, uh, uh, a, sort of a short report. It basically, well, uh, to give the, the lineup, basically the chances, assuming a Palestinian uh, complains against like a soldier, either for wounding him, beating him or robbing him or trashing his house. The chances of uh, this complaint to actually uh, mature into an indictment is 2%. Most cases are closed in the very, let me see that, yeah. Out of 273 uh, complaints, made by either uh, Yashdin lawyers or in, by, under the guidance of Yashdin. 144 were closed without any criminal investigation. Uh, 73 were still under, uh, under uh, investigation, and this can take years. And 15 have been closed for various reasons. Basically, and Yashdin has noted for several years the problem that Palestinians understand there is no realistic chance of their complaints getting anywhere. Actually, some of them have complained that after making a complaint, they were harassed by the military. So the number of people willing uh, to lodge a complaint is declining year after year. Now, that's for the military parts. Uh, actually, the, the army said, one of the later versions was that they have a sniper, or not quite a sniper. Uh, the IDF has two levels of snipers. One of them is Salaf, sniper, and another is Kala, which is for shorter ranges. A sniper is supposed to be, to be able to hit a target up to, uh, up to a kilometer. Uh, a Kala, sharpshooter, about 300 meters. So they say one of them was possibly the man who shot uh, Abu Akela, but uh, without the bullets, they cannot be sure. 
And since they don't think there was any criminal intent, which is very nice, you know, to say before you actually hold an investigation, uh, you didn't, they didn't ask the people who were with him in the vehicle, for instance, they decided to close it. Now, what, what are we to make of uh, all of this? Is, is there just, I mean, first I want to say that Shireen Apu Akla, if, if people don't know, which they, they should by now, I mean, she worked at Al Jazeera, but I think she was very, uh, I, I mean, if you were to ask um, Arab Americans who she was, they would know who she was. Uh, so she she did she was very influential is what i'm getting at um do you think that the response of the idf has been influenced in any way by i i guess i know you said um they don't want to deal with the public uh reaction necessarily being negative um but is there also what is the role of of israel's right wing in applying pressure onto institutions like the IDF? Um, they are, well, they, they surely demonstrated their uh, power in the past. They can, you know, they uh, often demonstrate outside military commanders they don't like. Uh, if you, the division commander of, uh, of the West Bank and you make decisions the settlers don't like, they will demonstrate outside your, your house. They will uh, harass your children. They did that to division commanders, uh, general commanding of the region, I'm talking brigadiers and major generals here. And on, sev- on several occasions, the, uh, uh, the chief of staff, which, which, who is a, which is a lieutenant general. And they can certainly do that, but I think this time it's much more than just the right wing. Basically, Israelis don't want to know. There is a, I, I, it's not just the right wing. I think most people in the center will tell you that, no, it's, it's not a good idea to hold such investigations. And most people on the Zionist left will say, well, it's unfortunate. And uh, in a better climate, we would have wanted an investigation, but right now this might shake the government, so it's not a good idea. Could you, could you elaborate on that a bit more? So what what is the fear? What what will happen if there is an investigation? Why are there people saying, uh, "Well, you know, it's tragedy, but an investigation wouldn't be good in this climate"? What what do they mean when they say that? They mean that the uh, current government is holding by a thread. It has 60 supporters out of 120. About a third of the coalition is actually right-wing, people from Yabina and from, uh, I forgot the name, uh, Gidon Saar's party. And they always make complaints about how the government is too left-wing and they can't hold it anymore. And two of them have, have already defected. So if one defects, then the government is actually a minority government and it may, it may lose the next vote, which can happen on any week, uh, calling for the uh, dismissal of the Knesset in the new elections. 
which uh, if you have been following, we, we've been doing a lot recently. So um, basically they say, well, it's unfortunate. Uh, it really should have been better, but do we want to lose the government over this? I, I want to move on to talking a little bit about what's happening in the West Bank and, and particularly Janine, but mm-hmm. is there anything else that we should say about I think we should start with Jerusalem because uh, we're going to see some of that. I, I think we will see some fireworks next week. Uh, Hamas announced today that if the uh, march of the flags, go, uh, dance of the flag goes, go, goes on next Sunday, they will retaliate and they will no longer allow Jerusalem to be defiled. So... As the government said, they will hold this march, dance. Then it is very likely that, like last year, Hamas will fire rockets into Israel and Israel will bomb Gaza. It's not certain, but it's very likely. So, Jerusalem. Uh, the, the, what was most shocking for, for many people even more than the killing of uh, Abokera itself, because, you know, journalists uh, take a risk when they're uh, getting near people shooting rifles, uh, was the attack on her funeral. I don't know if you've seen the, the videos, but the police basically attacked the crowd carrying uh, the coffin beat some of the people and the coffin uh, nearly fell to the ground. The beating continued onwards throughout the uh, funeral procession. Prior to the attack on the coffin, on the coffin, the police assaulted the um, hospital where the body was held. Uh, they've, been, they've been hitting patients. Now, the Israeli police have been out of control uh, for years, maybe decades. But in the last two years, last three years, they've been escalating um, via very simple vice. Uh, Technically, uh, Palestinians or anyone is allowed to wave the Palestinian flag. It is not a criminal offense to either carry, display, or wave the flag. However, uh, Section 82 of the police uh, orders say that the chief of police may decide, should public uh, safety require it, to disallow the, the showing of a flag. Now, uh, if you were concerned for public safety, the chief of police might have denied the right wing their march next week, where they danced with flags in the Muslim quarter. But for some reason, the Israeli flag is not cause for concern. However, uh, the police have been using this excuse to break up any Palestinian demonstration. The minute someone waves a Palestinian flag, they either declare the demonstration illegal or they try to uh, seize the flag by force 
and thereby cause escalation. They've been doing it time after time after time. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a game plan now. A day before the funeral, the chief of police of Jerusalem... Just to clarify here, we're talking still about Shireen Abu Akhla's funeral, just mm-hmm. so people are being able to keep up here. I'm just clarifying, but yeah. go on. The, uh, the pretext for the attack on the funeral was an order given by the chief of police of Jerusalem a day before the funeral, which was that the police will not allow the waving of any Palestinian flags. So the moment someone waved a flag, and dozens did, she was a Palestinian public figure, the police saw it as an excuse to to attack the funeral. I don't know what they were thinking. I do know that this order and the use the police make of the, we can disallow a flag, uh, excuse, has has never been discussed by the government or parliament. In fact, after the Oslo Accords back in the 90s, before that, waving the flag was a, was a, was a legal offense. After the accords, uh, the decision of the attorney general was that this will no longer be prosecuted and people will no longer be arrested for it. And so it went for over 20 years. And then suddenly, two years ago, the Jerusalem police decided to uh, change, change the way it reacted. This keeps Jerusalem in a high tension. Also the fact that several known policemen whose name I will not repeat because I will be prosecuted for it, uh, are known to, to, have abu- to have abused Palestinians serially. And in one case to have invaded a house and shot a girl in the back with a rubber bullet that uh, didn't make her any less of an invalid. So this guy, and everyone knows him, he's still on the payroll. You can't say his name. You, you can't say his name or you'll, th- there will be prosecution. There will be prosecutions. Yeah. Okay. okay. There are, they managed to get a police uh, court order uh, prohibiting uh, using his name. So if I use it, I am in relation of a court order and this is something they will be very happy to prosecute before. Okay, un- understood, understood. And then is there anything else you wanna add in, in regards to um, this situation in, in East Jerusalem? I think that after what happened at the funeral, if there will be anything out of, out of the ordinary next week, and I think a few during words. the dance of the or, or the uh, the flag march. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Basically, what happens is that they allow thousands of um, national religious youth to get with flags into Eastern Jerusalem, particularly the Muslim parts. About uh, seven hours, six hours before the march, they order all the businesses to close and all Palestinians to not leave their homes. So, so for the Palestinian re- residents, this is almost like a, 
I, I mean, if I were Palestinian, I would view that as like a, a provocation. It is a provocation. Basically, basically, hostile people are going to march through your streets. They are going to sing, we are going to burn your village because our right-wingers don't understand the concept of a Palestinian town or city. They are going to, uh, to sing, uh, your prophet is dead. They are going to sing death to Arabs. They are going to sing, uh, quoting from uh, the, the story in the Bible about Samson, let me avenge one of my eyes. And instead of uh, the Philistines, they will say the Palestinians. And all of this is illegal, okay? Every part of this is a crime under the, uh, under the law against racism, which we do have, but it happens every time under police protection. So yeah, this is a provocation. And there are always some people, you know, the, uh, the march is always, isn't always orderly. And sometimes a few people break into avenues and uh, alleys they're not supposed to be in. And then they will um, riot. They will vandalize. They will be people. So yeah, one hell of a provocation. So and based on this uh, and then, well, but, but what you're saying essentially is, you know, if that provocation happens and goes forward uh, next week or so, I mean, we're going to see some things transpire. I think there's a strong, strong uh, chance of Hamas uh, retaliating by firing rockets into Israel. Once Hamas fires rockets into Israel, the, uh, the IDF will bomb Gaza, they will fire more rockets, another round. And basically the government approved the uh, plan of the march to three days ago. So I guess for, for my listeners here in the US, I, I want you to explain why would the government approve that if it could have this massive fallout where you have Hamas firing rockets and then Israel firing rockets into uh, Gaza? Why would they approve of this march if because they know? Go on. This march has been going on for some 30 years. If they disapprove it now, if they disband it, first of all, the first thing will happen that is the right wing will hold the march anyway, just without police coordination. And this will likely turn into a full-scale riot. Secondly, if they uh, disband this march, then they will appear as surrendering to Hamas. And they can't have that. Now, the minister is apparently one of the dumber around. He had a series of uh, unfortunate uh, expressions lately, particularly after um, a terrorist was killed, after carrying out an attack. He went to the funeral and then said, um, we will find this terrorist and he will, he, uh, will suffer the full 
the full burden of the law. The guy being dead for over 12 hours by the time. Uh, so now, the minister is labor, okay? It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be a, left, a, a leftist party. But he can't disband the smart because one, there will be a lot anyway. Two, the government is likely to fall. What are the, the sort of main flashpoints you want my listeners to get out of uh, the, these events that are sort of unraveling right now in, in Israel? Well, uh, the main point is that the IDF has been raiding Jenin and its uh, surrounding villages and towns for every night in the past month. And I've been doing so regularly for the last six months at least. They are likely to make another raid, another raid tonight. Two days ago, they killed someone, about a 17-year-old boy. Admittedly, he was carrying a gun and likely trying to use it or even using it. I think there, so, there was also, was there also, I think there was someone else that was critically injured too in that same incident, but. There were far too many of them to follow. We only notice them when they die. I, I, make a, I try to make a list every, year, every day, but it's impossible to follow the wounded. It's only when they are, they're critical. So, you know, I put them on a list and watch in case he dies. Um, but they did use a girl, a 16-year-old girl, as a human shield. I have it right here. Uh, on May 13th, the girl name is Ahed Muhammad Rida Mered. And DCI Palestine have made a report about this. Uh, she was held between the soldiers and the Palestinian gunmen. And when she tried to duck her hair, the soldier forced her to stand straight up. This is completely illegal. This is by any stretch of the imagination, a war crime. And as we've seen several months later, the IDF will not investigate this. Janine is out of control of the Palestinian authority. And from what I'm told, it, it's basically gangland at the moment. This is not likely to change. Uh, it's been like this for months. And the IDF has been voicing uh, its concerns and saying it might fully assault the place. You know, not, not just a raid with a company of soldiers, but a full assault with a brigade uh, uh, or a division, house-to-house -house combat. I hope they don't. Uh, but if the government feels pressured, it might. Jerusalem is, as it has been for the past three or four months, on the brink of an explosion. And next Sunday might bring about this explosion. Then there is the issue of the mixed cities in Israel, several towns and cities where there is a large Palestinian, Israeli-Palestinian uh, population. And last round around, which was about last May, a year ago, there were severe riots in several mixed cities, particularly Lod and Jaffa. Every time something of this sort happens, uh, it strengthens the 
right wing's position that not just West Bank Palestinians should be expelled, but Israeli Palestinians too. At the same time, it increases uh, radicalization among Israeli Palestinians because say, they, they see that their citizenship is paper thin, is citizenship in name only, and, and they're treated as an enemy as soon as something suspicious happens. So uh, I'm not optimistic. So with regards to the uh, Janine refugee camp, if, if people don't understand that, that situation, because it, this has been going on, like you said, for a while, how do you sort of describe it to a person who is unfamiliar with what's been going on there? And this is, okay. uh, the, the, this is the camp in um, the Northern West Bank for people yeah. uh, that are just learning about this. Okay, imagine uh, Haiti. Densely populated, uh, with dubiously, dubiously legal supplies of electricity and water, and lack of almost any sanitation services, streets wide, maybe a meter, very dense population. Last time the IDF actually attacked Janine in 2002, it cost him over 12, so at least 12 soldiers, I think more. Uh, and the gunmen there held out for much longer than anybody expected. This is a nightmare place to wage a battle in. Basically because there is no way civilians will not be harmed. For, for starters, the walls are, foot, are too thin. A bullet which may be blocked by a normal wall will stop other two or three. Uh, sounds will be amplified and hence everything will, look, uh, will feel more dangerous. Visibility will be extremely low, meaning that they will fire at every shadow. And in general, a nightmare. You said you're not optimistic. Is are, are the issues that 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 we're seeing arise right now? What 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 would the best possible outcome be? What would need to happen for for things for you to be more optimistic? I guess. Um, um, I think sanctions like Russia's, something like that. At the moment, Israelis don't think they have anything to lose. Okay, they're not under any pressure. The army is not under any pressure. The US government uh, laments the death of, uh, of Shireen, but they keep supplying the idea with arms, including the weapon that shot her. Um, basically, you know, an Amer- she was an American citizen. An American citizen was shot by, by the IDF and you hardly hear of it. That's astonishing. If the French army had shot an American, an American journalist, I think we'll, uh, we'll hear about it much more. Israel has been an, an American um, proxy for over 40 years. Uh, it's claimed we share the same values, unless the value is uh, 
racial hegemony. I'm not sure what we're talking about. And it has a special place in the American media, mostly, mostly because, you know, the, you get attacked severely if you, if you don't attach the idea for Israel. But at the moment, Israel is, is a rogue state. And it needs to be dealt with pretty much as Russia is. Full sanctions. No boots on the ground. Uh, but the occupation should hurt. It doesn't. The, the last thing I wanted to mention, I know, I know you've addressed this in, in our last conversation uh, that we had, but you know, the, with the with this case in particular, uh, Shireen Abu Akla, uh, you know, there's been people coming out in full force saying anyone who um, you know is skeptical of of the IDF is just pushing. Uh, anti-Semitic tropes. They're, they're claiming okay. that Israel would do this on purpose. Uh, and that, that's anti-Semitic. How, how are we supposed to respond to people that immediately throw that out there and say, oh, uh, this okay. is just thinly veiled anti-Semitism? Okay. If you look at IDF, uh, there are plenty of videos around of IDF snipers and sharpshooters. And they treat it like a game. Okay. They're not under fire in most cases. They treat it like a game. And they know that they will not be paying uh, any price for shooting someone. Now, admittedly, shooting an American citizen, that can, that can get you in a, in a real load of trouble. But I'm pretty certain anyone who shot her didn't know that. Now, the shot was in the neck. Just above, just above a flak jacket, just below a helmet. That's not an accidental shot. That's someone who knows how to use a sniper rifle. Now, would the soldier's commander approve it? No. Will, will the division commander approve it? Hell no. Will the minister approve it? No. Will the government approve it? No, but when it get when it gets down to a corporal in a battle near uh, near a refugee camp with hardly any supervision, and he feels it's a game. Let's see if I can do that. Yeah, that can happen and has. So, are, are you saying that there may be? Um... For lack of a better term, maybe you have uh, soldiers that uh, trigger happy. Well, well, yeah, trigger happy and almost like a maybe like a macho thing going on. Like, oh, let's see if I can do that. Let's see, you know, um, this this you idea know, of I have to prove myself. They uh, about a year ago they investigate they inter not interrogated well interviewed uh, a group of snipers who were firing at the Gaza border. And they use terms that you can find also in the reports of breaking the silence. They were speaking about taking a knee. Can you take a knee? Can you shoot someone in the knee? And at the end of the day, there would be a tally of the knees. There's, there's gamification here. What? You're, you, only brought, you only brought home two knees? You're nothing. That, that's just, that's terrifying. 
that kind of things going on. But it does. It does happen. Uh, basically, well, uh, well, it depends on the situation. If you have strict orders not to shoot, unless your company commander orders you to, or unless you have to request permission to shoot, that's one thing. They will not... They will, in this case, they will not fire, but... Uh, they, they will not break orders, but if the order is uh, shoot at anything that may look dangerous, then it becomes get the knees. I, I now recall another case about seven, seven years ago, just one thing. There was a case, someone shot dead two Palestinian stone throwers as they were walking away from the riot. And obviously, the shooter was an IDF man. The IDF claimed that the video was uh, fixed, that it was propaganda. The defense minister said so. About two days later, there was another, there was another video. And this time, there would be no mistake. It turned out a soldier, Ben Derry, exchanged the bullets in his uh, magazine from uh, rubber bullets to live bullets. And under covering of shooting rubber bullets at people at the riot, shot these two guys with live ammo. as if he was using rubber bullets. He was convicted of the, kill, of, the killing of one of them. Um, he may have wounded four more. He got about eight months. This thing happens. These are 19 year old people with guns, with barely any supervision. They will get social recognition among, their, among other soldiers for maiming or killing, and they will almost never face any consequences. This is not anti-Semitism. Real, real quick as well, if we couldn't, I'm, I'm sorry I've kept you so long, but- uh, Well, it's interesting. What, uh, what role, I guess, uh, you know, the, the last time I had you on the show, and, and this is, mm-hmm. uh, I hope this isn't too off topic, but uh, we talked about this figure, and I, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing his name, but, um, uh, Itaber um, Beniver um, and and his uh, party. Um, what's that? Itamar Benvir. Yes, yeah, and, and he, he his party. Um, Utsma, I'm I'm horrible with uh, these pronunciations, but he he has um, an Israeli far right party. Uh, mm-hmm. What role do figures like that play in, in Israeli political life right now? Well, uh, at the moment, Itamar Bergner is the most interviewed people, a person uh, on Israeli media, aside from the prime minister. He's getting a hell of a rating. Um, and he's lighting up flames as he goes wherever he can. Uh, for instance, he from time to time would announce he would remove his... Uh, uh, parliamentary uh, lodgings into Sheikh Jarrah in Jerusalem. He's very popular, and I actually think he has a shot of running on his own and passing. 
you need to have uh, four seats in order to pass. I think he can do that because he's drinking uh, the ultra-Orthodox vote. They're terrified about this. He's, uh, he's, go he's going to Bnebrak and to the ultra-Orthodox sections of, of uh, Western Jerusalem and he's greeted like a king. And the ultra-Orthodox are, are at the moment in a crisis of leadership. Their last known leader having died about a month ago. And there is no one nearly as powerful or popular who can replace him. So if Itamar runs, uh, you know, it can happen in, two months, in three months. If Itamar falls on, on Wednesday, which may happen. But then again, it may, it may, it may fall on any Wednesday. So um, if it falls and if he runs, I think he has a strong chance of passing on, on his own. I guess though, for me, I'm, I'm curious. I, I mean, he, he's not entirely, a, he's not just for my listeners to, to understand. He's not an entirely new figure. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, I, I know we can't, I think he would say that he's uh, not a Kahanist, but a, a, a follower of, of Kahane. He's a but... follower of Kahana. He's not a Kahanist. <laughs> Being a Kahanist makes, makes, you, makes you a member of a terrorist organization. Right. But I guess what's interesting is, I, I mean, you know, I think back to, I think it was in 1995, um, right before the assassination of Rabin, he had uh, Yitzhak Rabin, for people that don't know, the prime minister at the time. Uh, he, he made some very strange comments uh, right before he got to died. His, he got to his car he got to Rabin's car he took off the I think it was a Mercedes I'm not sure he took off the the symbol of the Mercedes and he went in front of the camera which he's very good at and he said just like we got to this and he showed you know the sign we can get to him right we got to his car and we'll get to him too mm -hmm. uh, which is very threatening but I, I guess it makes me wonder. So that's in '95. Has it? So his influence has only really gotten greater since then. Yeah, he's been working hard, hard at it. Um, I sort of kind of like him. I actually stopped a policeman from illegally arresting him one time. Um, but and he's very good with journalists. He all know, he knows what you want. He will give it to you. He will never he will never lie to you. Um, and he knows just has to actually talk to journalists, but he's been feigning at it for whoa, a long time. He was trying since the early, early arts to get elected, failed time after time, after time, after time. At a few points, he was very frustrated about it, but he kept going. And this time he managed. Now the question is, will it be a one shot? Because Kahana only got one shot. After that, he was banned. But no one is going to ban him. These days are over. The question is, for him, can he do it on his own? And, you know, other followers of Kahana? Or does he need to stick uh, with Bezalel Smotrich and the other creepies who are um, actually... Uh, a dead weight, but they do have the money 
so I think we'll know uh, once we go on another, on another round. But he's very likely to enter on his own if he, if he wants to. So I, I just need you to clarify too, because I don't want people to take you out of context. You, you sort of said, uh, I think you said you sort of like the guy, uh, and I don't think you meant that you he's very likable. He is okay. very likable. Okay, but you're, you're, yeah, but you're not. I, I don't want people to think that you're saying you're supportive of his his viewpoints or whatever. He offered me legal advice once. He's a lawyer. He's a good one. Actually, he w- he wouldn't like this at all, but he's one of the finest human rights lawyers in the country. He defeats the uh, police and the prosecution every time they they go. They used to now. He has, now he can't since he's a member of parliament. But as a lawyer, he was one of the better lawyers around in getting people out of jail. And he didn't get rich off it. So yeah, he's likable. He will likely see me, I guess he will offer me the chance of exile instead of execution when he becomes prime minister. Um, But he's one of the most dangerous guys around. So I, I, I guess the, the reason I brought that up, I mean, I mean, is there any way that th- this element of um, Israeli political life, the, the sort of, I, I would say, far right uh, that mm-hmm. Itamar represents, is it just going to keep gaining? Is it, keep, is it going to keep growing? Like what, what would it take to, to put a damper on, on this extreme sort of right-wing movement that he's leading? Paying a price for the occupation. So we come back right to now, the, yeah. Right now, um, the left has no game plan. Two states is dead. One state, nobody does say that. Not, in, not on the political uh, map. So the left is keeps keep speaking about plans everyone knows are no longer viable. The right wing has a problem. It can no longer ignore the Palestinians. So they ask themselves whether they can expel them or if necessary, kill them. The center keeps saying there is no problem. Or anyway, we'll get to it when we get to it. But the, but, but the right wing is un- understands, particularly as Palestinians are the majority now between the Jordan and the sea, that drastic action is, ne- is necessary. Now, are they capable of it? I don't know. Will the IDF play, IDF play along? Maybe. It already has several brigades which are national religious. Several of its commanders are national religious and they come from very suspicious yeshivas. And I think if anything remotely like like a regional war uh, takes place, some elements will attempt, will make an attempt at an ethnic cleansing. I think they will find it harder than they think. Palestinians are not moving. They learned this lesson. 
but again, if the world keeps saying to Israel, well, you can kill people and we won't do much about it, then yes, the right wing, one of the main points of the right wing is, look, for, for 30 years, the left has been telling us that if we do this or that, the Americans will hit us hard. The, the European Union will sanction us. We did, and nothing happened. It's a paper tiger. I, I also wanted to note real quick, when, when you were talking about, uh, I, I guess I would be exiled if um, Edinburgh got to power, were you, were you, were you joking? Were you, were you serious about that? Like, I, I, I don't know, I, I, was semi, I, I was semi-joking. I was semi-joking. You know, uh, among leftists here, uh, a very common sort of joke is uh, what I'll do uh, when we get in the gulag. But, um, and there are actual camps. Uh, which the government keeps ready in case it needs to incarcerate uh, uh, dozens of dozens of uh, thousands in a hurry, including uh, Israelis. Well, we live under um, the British Emergency Acts of 1945, which Prime Minister Begin uh, said were worse than the Nazi legislation, and he was a lawyer. Uh, which basically allowed the military commander to arrest anyone he so decides to arrest and hold him without charges for six months and possibly more if he so decides, but then it has to go to a court. Now, um, we have here what is called the Home Command. And the General Commanding Home Command is issuing from time to time administrative uh, detention orders. So all he needs to do is, you know, issue a few of, a few thousands instead of a few, a few dozens of them. And if the government changes enough, this can happen. The law, the law is in place. I'm curious, given the situation um, in Israel, I, and this, I promise this will be the last question I ask you here. Uh, for this conversation, but we can have another one later. <laughs> well, I, I guess it seems like it's a pretty dire situation um, for Palestinians, and also it seems like it, it would be very difficult um, for uh, people that are on the Israeli left. What what sort of keeps you going? I mean, it it, it seems like uh, in some ways you're at a lot of risk. Uh, too, because you are sort of speaking out here about these issues. What sort of keeps you addressing these issues? The Gil Banzer would be um, is would be I'm 52 years old and I I, I make a living out of Hebrew, so basically um, exile would be, would be very hard. The most serious question is I don't like being an exile. Uh, Hebrew is part of my identity, a major part of my identity in a way which I think is impossible to explain to Americans. Uh, because English is not just American. Anyway, I have mm, privileges, lots of them. I go to a demonstration in the West Bank. I am not likely to be shot. I'm not likely to be arrested. I will, well, I will suffer from, uh, from tear gas, CS gas because 
they shoot it, you know, all over the area, but no one will shoot me directly. No one is likely to beat me. I have privileges and I have to use them in order to protect the people suffering from all that was built in order for me as a third generation Israeli to have these privileges. Well, Yossi, I want to end on that note. Uh, I want to thank you again for coming back on the show. And I want to thank you for going a little Always bit over time with me. Uh, thank you again. How can my uh, listeners keep up with uh, the work you're doing? Or is there anyone uh, that you would recommend they keep up with the work of uh, that's doing human rights work? Well, I, I write for Mono Vice from time to time. Um, I would suggest your uh, people follow uh, B'Tselem, the human rights organization, and Breaking the Silence. They are the two most cutting edge uh, human rights organization at the moment. If your interest is legal, then Yashdin is your cup of tea. They translate almost everything they write. And uh, if you are, uh, if you feel interested enough, then you should donate to them. Well, that does it for this edition of Parallax Views. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Yossi Gerbitz. He's an occasional contributor to the Mondo Weiss website, which uh, is really worth checking out if you are interested in Israel-Palestine news and views. As always, if you appreciate the work I do here at Parallax Views, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Parallax Views. One more time, that's patreon.com slash Parallax Views. You can find all the information on there for how you can help to support my show financially. It is you, the listener, that makes this show possible. And with that being said, Until next time, you've been listening to Parallax Views with Parallax Views to Parallax Views with The way out is not simply to say don't do it, just to prohibit. If nothing else, if we don't do it, others will be doing it like right. So you know we have to confront the problem. But no, basically, basically, I'm, I know of the great anxiety problems, new forms of control, but it's also new forms of freedom. This is why I always emphasize that uh, uh, internet and all this new digital stuff, it's a very ambiguous phenomenon, but it's the field of struggle. New forms of enslavement, but at the same time, new incredible forms of freedom. We have to accept the fight with no nostalgia for old, allegedly more authentic communities or whatever. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.